take out your worship guide. We put a bunch of stuff in there. One, is a, one of those things is an invite to our Easter weekend. We uh, hope you'll give that to someone, bring someone with you. Uh, there's also a communication card in there. We invite you to fill that out. Uh, you can have that ready for the offering bag. We'll do that at the end of the service. If you're visiting with us today, uh, just sit back, uh, enjoy the message, enjoy the music. We're not going to ask you to do anything. Uh, also, pull out your sermon notes. We'll jump right into this message. Uh, if you missed last week, you missed a lot. Because uh, we baptized 11 people, and uh, we also looked at three reasons why worship matters. And uh, I'll remind you of those. I'm not really going to recap them. You could go online or our iTunes podcast or get a CD to do that. Um, but I'll just give you these uh, three we did last week, because my hope was to give us five reasons worship matters. Number one is God is worthy. So before you can realize what worship can do for you... You have to realize that it matters to God. You have to realize that there's an all-sufficient creator out there who's worthy of our praise from all people, from all times, all cultures. And this worthy creator stepped out of heaven into the mess you made, (laughs) into the mess I made, and took our punishment, took on a human nature and our depravity. And because he is love and because he's justice, he absorbed that wrath and the punishment and our penalty Jesus Christ, God, died your death, and now he's exalted above the name, above all names. He's the most high, and he's returning one day to make things right. He's going to judge things against himself, and he'll restore to his children what has been stolen from them. I can't wait. He's a worthy God. Number two, I'm a worshiper. Jesus didn't come into a world that was without worship. When Everything went wrong in the Garden of Eden. We were disconnected from God, but we went right on worshiping. We did exactly what we were meant to do because we are made from God. There's something inside of us that's constantly looking for the bigger than and something greater than ourselves. So worship should matter to us because we are worshipers and we better make sure we're worshiping God, the only one worthy. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And I got my own issues and problems going on, but we got a lot of little gods floating around out there getting our attention, and we're putting too much stock into them, and they're not really worthy of our worship, and we get a little confused thinking, man, my job's the greatest thing going, and my hobby is the greatest thing going. You know, my skill set or this sport, man, it's the greatest thing going, or she's the greatest thing going, or he's the greatest thing, or I am the greatest thing going. And God wants you to have loves, he wants you to have passions, but none higher than him, no rivals, none before him. So you got to be careful which God you choose, because you don't want to spend your entire worshiping life worshiping a minuscule God. Number three, there's a war over your worship. The reason Satan fell like lightning out of heaven is because he refused to acknowledge the supremacy of God in all things. He refused to say, true. Yes, you are God. I am not God. All glory to you. All attention on you. All praise goes to you. In his heart, he said, now some of that attention's coming my way. Some of that worship is coming my way. And in a flash, he was out of there and he's been there. He knows what's going on there. He knows the centrality of worship going on there. He understands it. See, the biggest deal to God is not that you missed church last week if you did. The biggest deal to God is not that you slept with your boyfriend or girlfriend if you did. 
It's not that you got drunk last night. It's not that you stole something from your employer if you did. It's not that you just stabbed your best friend in the back. It's not that you have uncontrolled uh, lust raging in your life ready to burn your house down. Now, don't email me this week. I'm not saying those aren't issues with God. I'm not doing a series that contradicts every other series we've ever done. (laughs) But those things or things like those rise up in our life, and we think they're the issue. We think they're the fire. We think they're the problem. They're just the fruit of a real problem, of a real issue. And those things, we think, oh, that thing is the thing that's wrong with my neighbor, with my spouse, with my family member. Sure, God is concerned with those things, and he grieves those things greatly. But his primary concern is that someone is robbing him of your worship, and someone is robbing you the fulfillment that comes when you give your worship to God. And that someone ultimately has a plan for your life. And the plan is not that you just go down a bad moral path and drive your life into the ditch. The enemy's plan for your life is that you will find a little G-O-D and you'll serve it all the days of your life, so much so that you become spiritually blind to God and separated from Him forever. And I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but here's the deal, we're not immortal. We got a little bitty time to walk on this little bitty ball of dirt with our little bitty lungs and our little bitty mouth and our little bitty hands and say to God and live to God, you're God. You are the most high. Here is my life. Here is the praise due to your name. And it's done. And our little bitty life is over. Life is temporary. I don't mean to start this message with a bummer, but it's just the reality And it's healthy to remember that. Lauren and I live a few blocks down from a cemetery, and uh, I'll take walks and end up at the cemetery, and I'll just go through, and if if you want a reminder that life is brief, just read some dates on some tombstones, and you'll get the picture pretty quick. And I'll find people that were my age, had no idea that was their last day. And it's just healthy to remember. I'll walk around, I see uh, people from our community, plots of... Our kids from this church family, our spouses, our parents. I remember graveside services we've done there. And it's just a reminder that life is a test. It's a trust. And this thing is temporary. And when it's done, there's no way the enemy is going to steal out of my heart my little opportunity to worship God. There's a war going on over your worship. So we looked at... Uh, Job and Jesus and we kind of threw Solomon in there and we learned that when the intensity is turned up in your life it may just be there's a battle going on there's a decision you're making the decision who are you going to worship now I'm not trying to over spiritualize everything and say there's a demon an angel on your shoulder and behind every situation and every time I open the freezer and see that blue bunny peanut butter panic sitting there that there's an angel and demon there. I'm not saying that we just cheese everything and just be happy about everything in life. No, no, no. But through life circumstances we say you're still God. You're still worthy. And you still got me. 
God is bigger than my circumstances. God's more important than what I have or what I don't have. And number four, and this gets us tracking with where we are today, the fourth reason worship matters is because we become what we worship. We turn in to what we worship. Whatever you're most jacked up about in life, it's taken over. I mean, it takes over your possessions, your money, your time, your energy, your thought life. Here's the progression. You can write these in. Whatever I value most consumes me. Whatever consumes me conforms me. And whatever conforms me determines my destiny. Now that's kind of big. That's kind of heavy. You can figure that out. But this is really good news. This is awesome. Because this means that as I focus in on God, as I celebrate God, as we tune into God, as we learn about God, as we worship God, it changes our thinking, it renews our mind, it conforms our character to be like Christ, and it gives us a destiny as big as God himself, because what we value ultimately determines our destiny. The psalmist couldn't have made this any clearer, but he's going to kind of say it in a reverse way than I just said it. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Why? Because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. I don't know who your God is, but my God is in heaven and he just does whatever he wants to do. He's not taking polls. He doesn't have to bring in his advisors before making a decision. He's not worried about the confidence of his constituency. He's not fundraising. He's just doing whatever he wants to do. Always has. He didn't have to get plans approved before breaking ground on the foundations of the earth. He didn't have to get endorsements from leading authors before publishing the Bible. He just does whatever he wants to do. Always has, always will. There's not going to be a suggestion box in the beginning of his millennial reign on earth. He's not going to put together focus groups before he builds a new heaven and new earth. It's just going to be whatever he wants. And maybe you're like I used to be, and maybe you're thinking right now, I'm not sure I'm okay with that. But the reality is, one day, you're going to step into a view and get a perspective of like the full reality of God. And you're going to go, wow, I had no clue. And that little list you've been carrying around. Anyone else got a list like me that, and when I see God, I'm going to ask him this. Come on, who's got the list? Don't leave me hanging. You're going to carry that list with you. You go up. And, I don't think I'll need this list anymore. Never mind. <laughs> but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. These idols, they have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. So our God does whatever he wants. He builds whatever he wants, writes whatever he wants, goes wherever he wants, creates whatever he wants. Your God can't speak, see, hear, smell, touch, or go anywhere. Your God you made, my God made me. And here's the kicker in verse 8. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. We become what we worship. That's why worship matters. Because if you get the God part wrong, you get the you part wrong. If you get the wrong God on your throne, listen, you lose the ability to hear anything that really matters, to see anything that really matters, to say anything that really matters, or do anything that really matters, and you become dead. 
yeah, you're still with us, but you're lifeless. You're not really contributing to the full reality of what's going on. You're not really doing anything that matters. This isn't me talking. Read this verse again. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And Isaiah says the same thing. Uh, Kicks it up a notch. This isn't in your notes. You'll have to follow along on the screen. This is Isaiah 44. He says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. So we got God talking here. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. You're getting a word from God today. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there's no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing. And the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry, loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. In other words, while making your God, if you become tired and collapse, that could be a red flag. The carpenter measures with a line, makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. God's just throwing this stuff in there. He says the craftsman couldn't even make it grow. He needed my help for that. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions the God and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. God, God's saying here, he cut this tree down and some of it he used to cook his dinner and then some of it he used to make a God. There's a fundamental problem here. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me. You are my god. They know nothing. He's talking about the craftsmen here. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. Their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. That's my goal with this series. Can we just stop and think for a second? Can we just hit the pause button and just think about this for a minute? Can we just think about worship for a second here? Can we think about what we're giving our life to? No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, 
Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood or to a thing or to some possession or some accomplishment or having things my way or some sin or some pleasure? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads them. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? In other words, they became as bankrupt as the thing they worshipped. They can't even see well enough to see that the thing they're holding is a lie. Whatever you value the most consumes you. Whatever consumes you conforms you. And whatever conforms you determines your destiny. And God is the only one who will never fail you. Write this down. This is why anything you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Just write that somewhere in the margin or something. Anything you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Because one day, it's going to crumble from the weight that you put on it. And all the expectation that you put on it is going to come crashing to the ground. Anything you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Now, I'm just going to give you a, a perspective or an example of how I've seen this happen just growing up. I've just had this observation. And you could take this specific example and apply it to anything or anywhere. You could see it in your own life. Maybe you've seen it, uh, something like this happen in others. But growing up, I've been around a lot of different musicians. And more than once, I'll see a musician who picks up an instrument, and man, they're gifted. They're good. They got some talent. And so they work on it. And they get really good. I mean, they're pouring time and, and money, and they're working on it as they should. But then sometimes, with some people, a shift will happen to where they start putting like a lot of weight and unreasonable expectations on this instrument, on this block of wood. And then they start putting all these expectations on people, on a band or on a worship team that those people can never fulfill. To the point where one day, out of frustration or dissatisfaction or whatever, they put all the gear in a closet and shut the door and forget about it. And what they idolized, they eventually demonized. In reality, they became what they worshipped because their gift is as lifeless as the thing laying in the closet. Blessed, fulfilled, is the person who remembers where their gift came from and who it's going back to. And at the short time while they got it, what it's for and who it's for. May we put all our expectation, may we lean fully, put all our weight, all our glory in God. Because he'll never let us down. He'll never fail us. May all our gifts, may all our talents lean into the weight of Jesus Christ. And be fulfilled in the glory of God. Number five, the fifth reason worship matters is because worship is fuel for the soul. Our culture, in case you haven't noticed, is a very depressed culture. We got problems. You got issues, people. I got issues. I don't have issues. I have a subscription. Anybody have a subscription? Don't leave me hanging. Our souls are getting destroyed. Our soul, which is the seat of our emotions, is getting bruised and battered from every angle. 
Day in, day out, our souls are a punching bag. And they're just getting destroyed. They're getting pounded to death. And over time, they get exasperated and become very heavy. Isaiah 61, it talks prophetically about how Jesus is coming. He says he'll do these amazing things. Okay, he's going to open eyes of the blind. He'll give ears to people that can't hear. He'll lift up people who have just been oppressed and crushed down. He'll set people free from bondage. And then it says he'll do something even more transforming than that. Isaiah 61, beginning at the end of verse 2, it says, He'll come to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Wow. A planning of the Lord for the display of His splendor. In other words, He's going to say what worship will do for you. So we talked about what worship... It's about God, it's for God, it's to God, but worship will also do something for you and it should matter to you for this reason. If you come to understand the power of looking upward to God, of relying on God, of centering your life on God, of focusing on honoring God, it's like putting on a new piece of clothing. It's like despair being lifted off of you and righteousness falling on you. So God went on a shopping spree, and he wants to make a trade with you. You can turn in your rags for righteousness, and you can turn in garments of despair for garments of praise. You know, he wants to clothe your soul with praise. That's why in some of the Psalms we read that that he starts talking to his soul. And he understood that our soul ultimately determines how we feel. So in Psalm 42, he starts talking to himself. He says, why my soul are you downcast? Man, what's up with this fog? Why are you in this funk? Why are you so beat down? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. That's worship. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you ever talk to yourself? I wish you would. Because when we tell our soul to praise God, it's like, a new garment coming on us. It's like a new attitude coming on us. We've got to have an attitude of gratitude. And what I've found is if you want to have an attitude of gratitude, you've got to have a habit of gratitude. Because if you wait around on your attitude, it may come, it may not. I'd rather have the habit tell gratitude to start coming my way instead of waiting for it to show up in my feelings and my moods. I'm done waiting on my feelings. Oh my goodness, they are so unreliable. So I want to talk to you about this garment of praise. You know, God isn't as concerned with what you wear physically as with what you wear spiritually. He's not as concerned with what you came into church wearing on your body as he is the attitude you put on before you came to church. He wants you to dress for spiritual success. You've got to get dressed on purpose before you go out into the world. You'll get hurt. You'll get offended. You've got to pick out your clothes for the day. You've got you to dress for success you got to make a decision to put on your garments of praise. That means there must be something in your closet, in my closet, that not really praiseworthy. It means there must be something in your closet you need to get rid of, some stuff you wear spiritually, it doesn't look too good on you anymore. Recently, Lauren and I went through my closet, like my actual real closet. And uh, there are some things I'd worn out, you know, some things that didn't fit right anymore, and some things... We just had to throw away, you know, pit stains and holes and you know the deal. 
And I learned, I learned that a real friend will tell you when something doesn't look too good. That, that's not your best look, okay? You know, I'm sure at one time, maybe in another life or another decade or century, that fit you well, but you're a little too big for that now. And a real friend will tell you when something looked too good on you. So backtrack with me several years ago. Uh, we're getting ready for a worship service. And uh, it's Sunday morning. We're under a lot of time pressure. We've got a bunch of stuff to sway. We haven't even set up. We haven't rehearsed. So we're under a lot of time pressure. We've got a lot to do. And I didn't really feel like people were pulling their weight. I didn't really feel like people were doing their job. And we'd have a bunch of people show up for a worship service and we'd have no service ready for them. So I was, got pretty frustrated. And man, that frustration got stewing until I uncorked. And I blew up. Started yelling at people, calling people out. I started calling people out on stuff that didn't even have anything to do with what we were doing. And I, believe me, I'm embarrassed to tell you this story, but I just didn't want you to think that I'm getting up here and be like, hey, where your praise, everybody, and not know anything about the battle. I also think it's kind of funny I'm telling you this story on Dream Team Sunday. It's like, hey, come join the worship team. <laughs> Haven't gotten chewed out in a while? Hey, come over here. So the next day, a pastor calls me, and uh, he just starts the conversation, and he says, you know, I agree with everything you said yesterday. And this is how out of it I was. I thought, well, yeah, of course you would. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says, but it's not about being right. Because if you keep this up, if you do that again, no one's going to listen to you, because you'll turn around and no one's following. And I learned a real friend will tell you when something doesn't look good on you. I thought, man, this just doesn't look good. This doesn't fit for where I'm going. This isn't the dress code for the position God has called me into. I'm too grateful to be acting this way. People of God are giving up too much. They're sacrificing too much for me to be ungrateful like this, for me to be wearing these old rags and a real friend will tell you it ain't your best look. And the best friend you'll ever have in your life is the Spirit of God. And he'll look at a complaining attitude you put on. And he'll say, you know, that ain't your best look. It doesn't fit you too well. We need to get rid of that. It'd be one thing if that's the only thing you had to wear. But why do you keep putting that on when Jesus gave you his righteousness to wear? Why do you keep pulling that out of the closet when God bought you custom tailored clothes? And the Spirit of God will say, I love you enough to tell you, You've outgrown that in a good way. We're way beyond that. That decade is far behind us. And we need to go through our closet. And we need to throw out some of these old rags. So I brought our closet with us today. This isn't Narnia. <laughs> this, this is your closet. I realize some of you, it's going to be hard to see. Maybe something's in your way. You'll get it. It's all right. In your closet, you got these rags, and you got these garments of praise. And you got the choice which one you're going to put on. And you got garments of despair. There's some stuff you need to get rid of, some habits you've outgrown, some attitudes. They've gone out of style long ago. God got you new clothes. I'm not trying to sell you like some self-help thing that you could buy at Target or here on daytime TV. Praise has power. 
Romans 13, 14, the Apostle Paul says, Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Quit, quit seeing how close you can get and focus on Christ. Put on Jesus. So what are you wearing? Maybe I need to ask it like they do on the red carpet. Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? I'm wearing Jesus Christ. I got my garments of praise. He didn't die for me to wear this old hand-me-down attitude I got from my family. No, I'm turning this thing around. I'm going to speak of the goodness of God. I'm going to wear the righteousness of Christ. I'm too big for gossip. I'm too big for cynicism. I'm too big for worry. I'm too big for all these what-ifs. I'm trusting in the Lord. You got to get dressed on purpose. You got to, you know how you get dressed on purpose? You lay your clothes out the night before. You got to have a plan. You got to have a plan to praise God. You got to think it through. You got to lay it out. You got to make sure it's clean. You got to have a plan to praise. You got to know how you're going to orient your day, how you're going to start your day around the righteousness of Christ. I know it's comfortable to complain. I know it's comfortable to put on those old sweatpants, that old ratty t-shirt, feel sorry for yourself. You're too big for that now. Anger is the wrong color on you now. Yeah, you may be a little tired. You may be a little exhausted. But you got something supernatural, some supernatural energy, and you're wearing the good stuff. And every day you're given the choice of what you're going to put on. And I know it may not feel like that. And I know it may feel like your soul is absolutely out of control and that you don't have the choice. God has not let the enemy steal that away from you. God has not let the world steal your choice to praise him away from you. And here's what you'll find over time. So if you keep taking God up on his offer, you keep adding a garment of praise, another garment of praise, garment of trust, leaning on the Lord, expectation on God, all glory to God. And you fill up your closet with praise. One day you'll be going through your closet. And you go, whoo, what's this over here? I thought we got rid of this. Yeah, this looks kind of comfortable. But no, I, we got rid. I thought we got rid of these things. I thought we were done with this. I thought this was in the past. And you know what you'll do? Give me a minute here. You get out the trash bag. You're not giving them to Goodwill. Your friends don't want it. Your kids don't want it. They're embarrassed when you wear it anyway. And you let the blood of Jesus wash this white. And the only reason if it crops back up is because you went dumpster diving and found the bag and pulled it out yourself. Because when Jesus died for your sin, it was once and for all. The blood of Jesus washed it white. The problem of sin is over. Quit pulling it out of the trash. Real quickly, Ephesians 6 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It's not a fashion statement. It's a matter of life and death. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Put it on before you go out so that you, when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, you say, I'm ready. Whatever's coming my way today, I'm ready. I got my garments of praise on. I'm ready to trust the Lord. Things don't go as planned. I got to carry on. I'm ready for anything. I got accessories. I got a belt of truth buckled around my waist. The, breast, the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praise has power. The walls of Jericho didn't fall down because of laser-guided missiles. How'd it happen? A shout of praise. In Second Chronicles, we see a King Jehoshaphat. Three of his enemies have banded together and are going to take out his army. He goes to God, God, what do I do? He says, get your choir together, put them out in front of the, the army, and have them sing my praise. They sing, give thanks to the Lord, his love into his love endures forever. They sang and they looked over the hill and all the enemies are destroyed. Praise has power. It's fuel for the soul. And in the process of worshiping God, in the process of tuning into God and tuning out the despair and the heaviness, maybe not in a heartbeat, maybe not in a day, but with a habit of praise, over time you'll discover that spirit of heaviness, that garment of despair has lifted and the spirit of God has fallen on you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the hope that you have given us. We look to you to renew our hope. We look to you to renew our minds. We look to you to revive our souls. We look to the cross where our sin and our shame became powerless. We look to the resurrection where new life begins. And in light of all you've done, we put all our weight, all our expectation, we lean in fully to you. We praise you. We thank you. We come with great expectation. It's through Jesus' powerful name, his forgiving name, that we pray. Amen.